Good morning. Hi, guys. My name is Stacy, and I am the student ministry pastor here at Casas Church, which means I'm the pastor for middle school and for high school. And if you didn't know, I think Andrea may still be over here. One, congratulations. That was so exciting. I'm glad you got to share that like moment with family. And I don't know if you guys knew, but that was her husband who got to baptize her. So that's just such a cool moment. I know. Two rounds. Absolutely. And the middle schoolers got to be in here and celebrate that. And I love when they get to see, like our students get to see our church like come together and have fun and be for each other. So congratulations. But also as speaking of kids, if you have a middle schooler, you should ask them about our new middle school space. We've had roughly a million of them over in the loft, which is the new room just for middle school students we started this semester. And it let our high schoolers start a Sunday morning service at 11 o'clock over in the Choya. That's been so much fun. But also we do high school small groups every Wednesday here on campus. And I was telling some of our tech and some of our worship team this morning, we have this group of senior boys and girls this year that are so much fun and so ridiculous. They bring this like sound system. It almost looks like a boombox from the 80s that you would put on your shoulder, but they carry this sound system. And they all like wait for each other in the parking lot. And then they like roll up to the Choya together to their own theme song that they're playing, which only a group of 18 year olds could be so bold to do. And then when they leave, they all like pause. And when the beat drops, they all salute us good night at the same time. It's ridiculous because there's like 25 of them doing this. And they sit right up front while I teach every Wednesday, which you would think like, that's so cool, they care, but they have that sound system. And that means they play a laugh track every once in a while that is the creepiest thing. It could be in a haunted movie, it's awful. Or they play like fake applause, or if I tell like a joke or a story that they don't think lands, they actually have the sound that does the like womp womp. And like, it's brutal. You're in a room of like 70 to 80 high schoolers and that sound drops. Like there is nothing quite like being roasted, but like laughing because it's kind of clever at the same time. And you're sort of glad that they're there, even if you might want to choke them a little bit. Like, and that's basically what youth ministry is. So now you know what my job looks like. And so I was telling, I was telling the team this morning, I'm so excited to get to be in here with adults where when I say good morning, there's not like a fart sound suddenly. Like you guys just respond with good morning. So you guys are off to a great start already. And so I really am very excited to get to be with you guys. What, what are we round of applause for? Those ridiculous students? They're neat, but like, cool. You did good jobs, parents. They're neat. Um, but I am excited to be in here. And I actually get to step into week two of a series that Ryan started last week called Big to Differ. Now, I don't know if you guys are like me, but back in August, our church launched our new, our theme, our mission, our purpose is what I mean to say for this year, which is loving people into the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ. And I've heard from the Wednesday night connections from my small group leaders, from just knowing some of you guys, like we are pumped for this mission. Like we're all in. When we walked through it and we talked about this agape or this unconditional selfless love that God has for each and every one of us that allows us to always have this acceptance or this place with God. Like so many of us were fired up and we were given the charge, the mission to just step into our own communities and show people that same love, show them that they have acceptance with God, but they also have a place here for them. And they get to live in the freedom of who Jesus made them to be. And like, I got so passionate and some of you guys got so ready for this. And the truth of it is then we had to walk out of this room 
Then we had to go home and we had to interact with humans. And I don't know about you guys, but I go home to a 20-month-old little toddler foster baby. She's beautiful, I love her, but when she wants a second Oreo and I say no, girl can throw herself on the floor like a cartoon, full kicking and screaming and crying and rolling around my house. And she doesn't have to stop. She'll go for an hour thinking she's gonna get that second cookie. And some of you guys know there is nothing like a toddler to test the Jesus in you. There's nothing like it except for maybe your teenager with the sound system. Like there's nothing quite like that. Or I go home to the human that I call my spouse. I go home to my Andrew. And this might be controversial, but I'm a person who hates grocery shopping. Is there anybody who hates grocery shopping with me? Like I know there's got to be five of you. I know some of you are like, no, it's therapy. That's okay. God loves you too. But like, I am not a person who cooks. And so I don't know why I would go to a store full of food. I'm not going to do anything with. And like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so I discovered those like boxes that you can order online and you just pick your meals and they send it to you. And so you can still make food and you don't have to eat out all the time, but like it showed up at my door and I didn't have to go to the grocery store. That is magic for me. I love that. And then there's my husband and my husband sits down with me and goes, but Stace, if we went to the store and we bought every single one of those items, we wouldn't spend that much money. I'm like, yeah, but we'd have to go to the store. So, you know, I feel like this is winning. So the other day, uh, I'm making dinner. It's late at night and I'm making dinner. He's feeding the toddler in the high chair. And I very casually go, you know, Andy, I would be so interested in actually figuring out how much money we really do spend on weeks that we do grocery shopping versus weeks the, sh the food shows up to our door. I'd really like to know how much we save. And my boy laughed at me. And that may not sound like a big thing, but like he straight up chuckled and goes, Stace, don't do this. Stace, don't step into this. Stace, don't try to open this up. Don't try to do this. That's not how this is going to work. And every part of me when he laughed, I was so ready to go, Andrew, you always do this. And you guys know, whatever follows that sentence is not good. You always laugh. You always shut me down. You always have to be right in this moment. And whenever you start a sentence with, you always have to, you always do this, it does not open good conversation. He's not like ready to consider my point of view. Like, no, you dig your heels in and your guard goes up and you are really ready to do this. So I kid you not, last week, it took maybe five minutes. Dinner is forgotten. The toddler's fending for herself in the high chair. And we have the laptop out and the spreadsheets open. And we are trying to decide. We're having an actual argument about what constitute a grocery bill because he didn't want to count the Costco receipt because we know Costco is obscene. Like, it's just how it works. And we got in an argument about, about these, this food and grocery shopping. And I promise you, I didn't once look at Andy and think, I hope that he feels agape love in this moment. I hope that my Andy knows I have a place for him. Like, no, I want to be right, and I don't want to go to the grocery store anymore. This is my toddler tantrum. And I mean, does anybody else have this moment? Like, it sounds so good, and then we have to go home, and then we have to drive on the roads with other humans driving on the roads. I saw this moment happen, like those zipper lines where you're supposed to let every other car behind me was like, I don't follow those rules. And he nearly pushed the other car off the road because he wasn't going to let him zipper. And then he put his hand out the window for his rude gesture. And I was like, I know that driver is not praying for the freedom Jesus has for that person. Like, that's not, you don't live in the mission in that moment. 
When you get home from work and you're tired and there's so many expectations on you and dinner is expected and these moments happen and you step into it, you are not ready to live out this mission of church. It's almost like it's so far from your mind when we have to deal with these other people. When you walk into work and you have the due dates and the expectations and the coworkers and the bosses and some of you deal with customers. <laughs> yeah. How far is a mission of the Church of Cassis when you have that person standing in front of you? And so because of that, that is why we wanted to do this series. Because we know how many people care so much about agape love and acceptance and freedom, and then you go home and you deal with human beings. And sometimes with those human beings, we have these little things called disagreements. We have conflicts, we have tension, and we have problems. So we did Beg to Differ so we could talk about what it looks like to stand in a place of love even while disagreeing with each other. And so last week, Ryan Kramer got us started, and he had this talk where he talked about lengthening the fuse. And he said, what if instead of, we, we paused between disagreement and reaction, and we actually chose, instead of strategizing our next response, we chose to care about the person's cares that's standing across from us. What if instead of taking whatever the, the anger or the slight was, and we immediately tie negative things to it, what if we actually thought the best of the person that we're in a disagreement with? And that's what he talked about last week. This week, I wanna talk about a different type of relationship or a different type of disagreement. I wanna talk about some of those relationships where maybe the disagreement's actually been there between you two for a while. Something was said, some different worldviews came head to head for a situation, a text was sent, an ultimatum was thrown down, something happened, and now that disagreement sits between you and that person. And what you have found is that the more and more conflict you have, the more and more time that goes by, the more you avoid them, it's almost like this distance between the two of you gets bigger and bigger. It's that friend that you used to be really close to and then you had that disagreement, that text was sent, and suddenly you're just like checking in with them every once in a while. Hey, how are you? I hope it's fine because this is all we're gonna do now. It, it might be um, that coworker where like in your head, you are still rehearsing that conversation and it goes so well. And you know if you actually got to do it, you would hear applause, but really you're not gonna go talk to them and you are going to avoid them and you are gonna shut down that moment and you're not gonna do it. It is like, you know, the holidays are coming up and some of us play this game where we get on the phone and we're like, hey, when is uh, uncle so-and-so's family gonna be there? Okay, we're gonna come by after that. Hey, when's dad showing up? Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, well, you know what? We're just gonna see you the next day because I don't wanna deal with that. Some of us have this disagreement and this distance and this tension with a person that we actually don't see very often. So it's kind of nice. We've like boxed them up and put that tension in the back of our minds and we don't feel like we need to think about it at all until some pastor sounds on a stage and is like, no, let's pull that out and let's actually look at that today, please. Some of us, you might have kids, but now they've become adult kids. And you know that a while back something happened. Something was said, a decision was made, that ultimatum was thrown down. And between you and that kid, it's almost like there was this fissure that showed up in your relationship. Like this, this break. And the more and more time that went by and the more and more angry words that were said or not said, more and more words not said to each other, it was like that space got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now this person you care about so much this kid, you hardly see them and you hardly know them and you don't even know how to get back to them. Some of us, we go home and we have these marriages and these spouses where it started with just this small argument and these little comments and this passive aggressive moment, but they, it was like every dig was like a step away from each other. 
And then you started filling that space with kids and responsibility and resentment and bitterness. And now you feel like your heart is so locked down and it's so burdened by all the things between you and them. And as much as you might wanna get back to that relationship, you don't actually know how. And even if you're thinking, maybe I just ought to, ought to want to get back to them and I'm not sure I do. Do you have a relationship like that? Do you have people in your world where you're like, I know there's distance and coldness and tension and this disagreement sits between us and I don't actually know how to get back to them. We're gonna talk about that relationship today. And before we go any further, I do wanna take one second and say, if what your mind is going to is a, is a relationship that you would say, Stacy, I'm not actually safe with them physically or emotionally, that is not the relationship and the conflict we're talking about today. I'm not gonna stand up here and ask you to put yourself in a harmful situation. I am talking about the relationship where if you did look at them, you do want to connect, you do want to move back together, and it would be safe for you to try and do that. So make sure that's the type of relationship and the lens that we have this morning, because we're gonna talk about um, a word. We're gonna use a word this morning that is reconcile. And when I use that word, what I want you to think of is I want you to think of moving toward rather than away. When I use the word reconcile, I want you to think of taking a posture where I take one step towards connection rather than continuing to avoid and lean away and continuing to isolate. Not pretending there's no disagreement, not pretending everything is fine and hunky-dory, but choosing to engage rather than choosing to separate. A reconcile today is going to be like a heart posture where you say, I'm going to choose to connect rather than choose to continue to separate and move away from this. And you know, when we talk about reconcile, one of the things that I, I love about Jesus is when he showed up and he started talking about this world-changing agape love, this human-changing type of love that is for us, that God has for each and every one of us and is unconditional. And then he says, this is gonna be so changing, it's gonna change the way that you treat and you handle all the relationships around you. Jesus didn't think he was just gonna show up and talk about this new kingdom and we were just gonna get it suddenly. And so there is this part in a book of Matthew in the Bible and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the longest recorded teaching for Jesus. And what Jesus does is he says, I've come to change the way that you understand what it means to be human and in relationship with God and in relationship with the people in your life. And to do that, I am going to go through these like everyday type of situations that you would go through and relationships you'd have. And I'm gonna actually show you how agape love changes this. And he actually talks about this idea of conflict and having a problem with a person, feeling this distance and this tension. So he starts talking about this in Matthew 5, starting at verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject, subject to judgment. This is one of the Ten Commandments. So his listeners are like, yeah, got it. Ancient rule, don't murder. But I tell you, Jesus goes on, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now I wanna take a quick pause here and say, this is not Jesus saying good Christians don't get angry. This is not Jesus saying you better put on your fine face when you step on the curb anywhere you go because good Christians don't actually have disagreement. Jesus felt and expressed anger. So that can't be what he's talking about here. But what he's doing is he is painting this picture of saying with this agape love and this idea of you have a place with me, 
Even in conflict and disagreement and distance, how can that be lived out differently? And he uses these two terms to be able to say, this is how some of you have found this loophole around do not murder. And the first term he utilizes is he talks about the word raka. This is an Aramaic term, and it was meant to sort of mimic the sound you make when you're about to spit, that like rah, which is gross on a mic, I apologize. But that's what that word is supposed to symbolize. And that word stands for contempt. I, had, I read an author who said that word stands for the studied degradation of another person's worth. That word means when we have raka for somebody, that they're standing on the other side of whatever this disagreement might be, and they've been over there for so long, or we've moved so far away from them, when we look at them, we think, you know what? I don't actually care about you. Their worth and their value have become so low in our worldview. Their cares don't matter, their health doesn't matter, their family doesn't matter. I don't care about you. You don't have value in my world anymore. And when God says we look at someone with contempt on the other side of a disagreement, we look at them in this degrading way like they no longer have worth or meaning. And then he goes on and he uses this term fool, which to us is tricky because it's kind of become like a cutesy word. Like I call our high schoolers fools because they act foolish all the time. So we don't always understand what Jesus is meaning in this. So what we have to think of is we have to think of the term malice. We have to think of like these nasty swear words when you're really against somebody. We talked about the zipper line of driving. Like imagine you're driving that car or worse, imagine your new 16 year old driver is driving that car. You're already trying to hit the brakes because they drive so fast and now someone's trying to push them off of the road. Imagine what your own hands are about to go do. Imagine those words that you're gonna utter or yell out that you don't want your kid to hear and you don't want your mom to hear. Those words, that feeling, that guttural response in that is more in line with what Jesus meant when he said you call them fool. This is that moment where you look at them and if you're really honest, you would never admit this out loud. When something bad happens, a little bit of you is like, hmm. You have like this smugness when something goes wrong at work when their kid does a certain something, I mean, I would never say that they deserve bad things, but like, they sort of had it coming, right? Like, have you ever had that? You've ever had that heart towards a person where you're like, you wouldn't say it out loud, so don't tell Stacy. but a little bit of you inside celebrated when something bad happened to them and happened in their life. And so what Jesus is saying with these two terms, with this contempt where you no longer have value to me, in fact, I'm actually gonna celebrate when something bad happens in your life. He says, this is like experiencing the fires of hell. And he means that because hell is a place where there's, that's separate from God. There's not God there. Which means there is not that love and that beauty and that goodness and that mercy and that peace that is God. That when a person is degraded, when a person, we say you don't have value and you don't have worth. In fact, I'm gonna celebrate when you go through something difficult in your life. Jesus says it's like experiencing a little bit of hell right here on earth. And so when Jesus walks us through the posture and the heart of being reconciled to a person, he says one of the first things that you have to do is you have to see them the way that God sees them. Not just in your head, but actually move it to your heart to see that person and say, God sees you as his child and I've gotta see you the same way. God says you are worthy of an agape, selfless, unconditional love, just the same way that I am, and I've gotta work at seeing you. God said you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. He determined your worth and your value, I don't, and I need to have an eyes and a heart that actually sees you that way. Because if you imagine, 
How impossible is it to sit across from somebody and say you're God's child but your cares don't matter? It's impossible. You can't look at someone and think you are God's child but you are my enemy. You have to think so your cares must matter. You have worth and you have value regardless of our disagreement, regardless of the time and the tension between, between us. You are God's child. You can't stare at someone and say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God determined that already and then like smirk when their kid rebels. When their, when their marriage ends, when something bad happens at work, you can't celebrate that moment because you see them as being God's child. And Jesus says, you wanna talk about a heart and a discipline that steps into reconciliation. The first thing we have to do is see the person across from us the way that God sees them. But Jesus isn't fooled. Jesus knows his listeners and us are going to hear this. And we're gonna be like, but technically you said don't murder. And there's a long way from contempt to murder. And all of this Jesus just sounds like, it just sounds really difficult. It sounds like you're taking this a little seriously. And he goes, let me give you an example that you might better understand how different this agape type of love is gonna be. So he actually keeps going in Matthew. This is now verse 23. Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and it's there that you remember your brother or your sister who has something against you, I want you to leave your gift there in front of the altar and I want you to first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So this, what Jesus is pointing at here is not your casual Saturday afternoon. The idea of going to the temple to offer your gift is an all-out adventure. You have to intentionally save for whatever type of traveling trip that's going to look like. You have to prepare your heart and your family. You have to travel. Even if it's in town, it is an endeavor, much less the people who lived outside and had to travel all the way to the temple. And then even after you get there, you have to purchase this unblemished gift, this unblemished sacrifice, and then you have to get in line. And that line can be three hours, that line can be three days. You have to get in line. And you guys, there is no concept of fast passes in Jesus's world. Like I remember, I'm this old, I remember when Disney rolled out the fast pass. And back then it was like the physical printout fast pass. And I remember being with my family in line at Indiana Jones, which is the best ride at the park. And my dad, I love him, but he is, he's not a quiet man. And he is a big dude. And he is watching these people as we stand in line for an eternity, go around us and cut in front of us and get on the ride first. And I'm watching my dad get angrier and angrier. The way that like only dads can, where they sort of like puff up and they start using their hand to make their point for no reason. And he is talking to this Disney worker at the front of the line and he is telling them how unfair this is and it's not okay and I've been waiting in line as if this Disney character like created the fast pass and this is all his fault anyway, right? My dad would love the temple line. He would love the idea that you get in line and you wait your turn. There's no cutting. You don't get to see Bob's family and go up and join Bob. You don't get to call ahead and do a wait list or see how long it's gonna be. You get in line and you wait your turn. And even after all of that with your gift and all of the travel and the prep and the prayer and getting your family ready and you're in line and you see the altar, you're at, as Miles said, you are at the one yard line and that's where you remember that you have this disagreement with your brother and you two are arguing about who's gonna apologize first. You remember you have this thing with a family member, a coworker, a friend, an in-law. Whatever it is, you remember that there is this tension, this distance, this disagreement. And Jesus says right there, put your gift down, get out of line and go deal with that first. 
Guys, this would be like if you left your wedding mid-vows because you needed to go fix something with a family member. If I stood up here and all of a sudden I froze and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm having this argument with my Andy the, the, about the food in the grocery store. I actually need to go deal with that. So if you guys would just stay right here, I'll be back eventually. I need to go take care of that. It's gonna be really good from this point forward. Like, that would be ridiculous. And that's what Jesus is telling people. And even if that wasn't ridiculous, they're standing here going, but God, I'm in line to worship you. I am in line to show love to God. And Jesus says, but first this. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to go live this faith, this mission, this agape love out loud with the people in your community. You wanna show me love? First go, love that person, even the one that you have the disagreement and the distance with. First go, be reconciled. And so it's almost like Jesus says, after we have talked about what it means to look at that person and see a child of God, he says the next thing you need to do is you need to be really intentional about leaning back into that relationship. You're not just gonna like put the gift down and like hope you get out of line and get right back in. You're gonna have to take an intentional step to put that relationship first. And you know what? Reconciliation is not something that comes naturally to us. We know this. We don't wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to be humble today. I can't wait to step into a situation that makes me feel uncomfortable. Something that's hurt that I've been harboring for a very long time. I can't wait to step back into that. That's not how it works. We want to use like aggression. And if I just really convince them how really bright I am, if we just wanna use guilt, we just wanna be able to be like, you know, that teenager apology where they like stare at the floor. Yeah, I'm super sorry you were hurt by that. Like that's what we wanna do and then be like, but they're over it now, we're terrific. And Jesus is saying, no, it is going to take a choice and intention rather than continuing to move away from that relationship to choose to say, I am going to turn and instead I am going to engage in it. I am not going to avoid it, I'm not gonna cut it off, and I'm not going to sit and wait for the apology I know I'm deserved. I am going to turn, I'm gonna see that person as God's child, and I'm gonna choose to lean into the tension and the awkward, actually make that intentional choice. So I wanna ask you, whatever relationship might be be hanging out in your brain or whatever relationship you're trying to be like, Stacy, stop talking about it, leave me alone. What is one way, one? that you could intentionally lean into that disagreement with that person. It could look like an intentional phone call, a phone call you haven't made in a while. It could be like asking that person out to coffee to actually have a conversation. Planning a date night where you take care of reservations and childcare because you want to be intentional about this time together. Choosing to hold hands on the couch. It could be for some of us, there's so much hurt and tension and anger in this just to say, pray for the good of that person. Make the choice to pray for the good of that person is you taking an intentional step to say, I'm gonna lean in rather than continuing to isolate, put contempt there and move aside. Because once we've been able to talk about, I'm going to intentionally lean in. One of the next parts um, for me is, is a very difficult part and it is to remove any obstacles you can. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your relationships are. For you, you might be saying to view that person as worth and value in God's child, that's really tough, Stace. You might be a person who says, you want me to actually lean in? That sounds awkward. I'd rather avoid that very much. Thank you. That might be your very tough, tough step. For me, this step is so difficult. It is to remove any obstacle that you can. This might be crazy. But I'm gonna bet if you look back at that relationship, whatever that tension is, that disagreement, I'm gonna bet 
just a teeny, tiny part of it might be your fault. Teeny, teeny, tiny, because we know you're mostly right, we know they're mostly wrong, but I'm gonna bet there's a teeny, tiny moment you could have handled that a little bit differently. You didn't need to send the text, you didn't need to have that tone, Like Ryan said, you could have paused and filtered your words. You didn't need to slam the door. You didn't need to tell the secret. You didn't need to be right every single step. I'm gonna bet if you look back, there is some moment in that disagreement along that timeline where you're like, yeah, that could have been on me. That could have been my bad. Those moments are like little landmines. If you've decided I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna engage in this and I'm gonna try to get back to that person, not back at, back to that person, those things sit like little landmines. And if we don't take ownership of them, then they could blow up and end the entire process we're trying to do. And it might have been completely unintentional. I know what it is to have a hard day at work and then you go home and you blow up and it has nothing to do with what's going on at home. It's just because of work and I'm tired and I'm hangry. Some of us, we grew up in a home that was more aggressive or was more like passive aggressive and it's just what we've seen so it's what we default to and I didn't mean to but I know that that's how I walked that out at home and I was just tired. But those things sit like these little landmines waiting for us to own them and maybe even apologize for them. Like I said, this one is the toughest one for me. You know, I I love my Andy. But recently I've been noticing in our relationship that there has been this, um, I would call it distance. We're not like angry and fighting and have this thing, but there has been a lot more space between us, a lot more of like ignoring each other, a lot more of vegging and numbing out with whatever's on the TV rather than actually like talking to each other and engaging in that relationship. And, and I don't want that. I don't want this space between us. But I know that another thing Andy and I recently did, about a year ago, we decided to step into doing foster care. And we've been doing foster care for a little bit over a year now, and it has been the most beautiful thing I've ever done. Like we have brought so many little babies back into our house and we have gotten to spoil them. And we have this community of people that like know the definition of spoiling. And these kids receive so many toys and junk food and cuddles and hugs and smooches and teaching them new words and throwing them in the air. Like these kids could not be more loved. And we've been able to see visible and in visible trauma and these little babies heal and watch them like blossom and become who God made them to be and it's gorgeous. And then it is the most painful and decision I've ever done I've ever made in my life. And I'm a person For me, I walk in and and I have this kid who gets reunited or I have this kid where they were abandoned and we thought they were gonna be ours and now this family member shows up and it's suddenly really complicated and I've started to put up these guards around my heart and I'm not someone where it's just that little cavity that stays guarded. My whole heart starts to become locked down and quiet and suddenly my heart is not available to connect with Andy because I'm heartbroken about this thing over here. And I am so angry at the system and I'm so angry about stuff that happens to kids and to families, but I can't be angry at an inanimate them. And so my anger goes home and it goes to Andy and I am so tired. There are so many things to juggle and people to navigate and feelings and managing and there's so much stuff. And by the time I get home, the last thing I wanna do is connect with my husband. I just want to be left alone and I don't want anyone to need me for a little while. So I know when I look at this coldness or this tension between me and my guy, there's little obstacles in there that I put there. And I know the vulnerability and the scariness of having to look at it and say, Andy, I'm so sorry that I said that. I was speaking out of my fear about this thing over here. 
Andy, I'm so sorry that I have not been present and I have been ignoring you and I haven't been engaging in this moment. I'm just so hurt about this stuff that's happening over here. And that is scary and it's vulnerable, but what I get to do is look at that relationship and say, I am going to remove the obstacles that are mine to remove. I'm going to own and apologize. For some of us, it might mean I am going to forgive. I'm going to take whatever that hurt and that wound and that baggage is that has been festering between us and I'm going to choose to let it go. Whether you've given me the apology that I think I deserve or not, I'm gonna to choose to let it go. For some of us, that may even be the first thing we need to do to see them as God's child in any way. But what we wanna be able to say is when we look at this, this idea of reconciling to that person, we wanna be able to say, I did everything that I could. Because we can't control them we cannot control that person to respond, to lean in, to own their parts, to want to reconcile and move back to you. They may not want to. They may still have a wall up. They may still isolate. They may still avoid. But we want to be able to say, I did everything that I could because we don't want to be left asking, if I had just, if only I had said, if I just had more time. You don't want to be left with that regret. You wanna be left with that. whatever that situation is, I did everything possible to lean in and move back towards connection with that person instead of moving further and further into contempt and into hurt and isolation. And you know, the truth of it is, I bet for most of us, when we talk about this heart posture of reconciliation, we don't see a lot of examples around, it, uh, uh, around us all the time of this because it's tough and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and it asks a lot of us. But what would it look like if you come from a family who would rather hold grudges, who would rather say, don't get mad, get even, they'll get theirs. What if you get to be the example to your kids or to the rest of your family of saying, no, instead of seeing that person as an enemy, I'm gonna see that person as God's child. What if your friends and the people who matter most to you in your community get to experience you saying, I don't need to be right. I need to be in relationship and connection with you. I'm gonna decide that is more important and I'm gonna re-engage in this. You wanna talk about something that could change a community that could take a mission out of this building and move it out into the relationships that matter most to us, even in the midst of disagreement. But there is a part of the Bible because um, some of you guys might know, there's a guy in the Bible named Paul and Paul wrote a lot of what we call the New Testament. Now Paul, um, he stepped into a lot of non-Jewish communities and he would help to start churches or movements in Jesus' name and then he would move on to the next community and he would write letters to the churches that he had left knowing that there were some difficulties they were facing. And, and one of those letters he writes to a church in Corinth and it's from 2 Corinthians and he actually starts out talking about reconciliation and he says, I know you don't see this a lot around you. In fact, people might tell you you're out of your mind for this but let me remind you how valuable this is. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Quick pause. What he is saying is once upon a time, you saw people where it was their responsibility to figure out how to fix this. Once upon a time, we saw people with contempt like Raka. Once upon a time, we saw them as fools or worthy of, of swear words and not worth your time. And he's saying, but you have changed the way you view them. Now we see them as God's child and precious. It doesn't mean we agree with them and it doesn't mean it's always easy to be in relationship with them, but it means that we see them as worth and having value. And then he goes on in 17, after all of that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone, the new is here. It's like once you change that, that mindset and you do choose to turn into a relationship, it's like becoming a whole new person. It's like engaging in your relationships in this whole new way. And it's not like you can go back to being the old creation. You are forever changed by this, Paul says. But here's why. This is even available as an option to us. He goes on and he says, all of this is from God, a God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has now committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul says, God did this first. God saw that some of us experienced this distance and this coldness and this tension and this anger with him. And he said, I am going to go to them. He didn't wait for us to apologize. He didn't wait for us to come to him first. He didn't wait for us to own our thing. In fact, when he looked and he saw obstacles, he didn't just remove his obstacles. He removed every obstacle, holding nothing against us. And he came to us and said, I love you this much all the time, no matter what. I wanna have this relationship with you where you get to know you are precious and created and love and you get to know the goodness of a relationship with me. So I came to you and I removed anything that might stand in our way and I wanna have this relationship with you now. But this is not a God who forces or manipulates or coerces or guilts us into it. He says, but it's your choice. We can choose to accept that reconciliation or not. He's not going to make us. He is gonna do all the work to get to us. Through Christ, he has been reconciled to each and every one of us, but it is up to us to decide if we wanna accept that and accept that reconciliation. And he says that once you do, once you pause and you're like, I believe Jesus is who Jesus said he was. I believe that he loves me that much and he has given me this passion to go love the people around me the same way. We get to be ambassadors of that kind of reconciliation, that kind of love. We get to go live out God's image in the world around us and we get to change and impact our world by saying no longer am I going to have contempt and move away from and isolate and shut the walls and avoid. I'm actually going to lean in and I'm gonna own my parts and I'm going to apologize that maybe through my act of reconciling you you might get to experience a little bit of what it means that God reconciled himself to each and every one of us. And as we, as we kind of end for today, before you get to go watch the Cardinals lose their game, I wanna repeat, you're welcome. I wanna repeat a little bit of what Paul says there at the end, because I love the way he says it. He says, I want to implore you because I don't know what any of you walked in here with. You might say, I don't know any of your relationship, relationship status with God. I don't know anything about it. But for some of us, the idea of being reconciled to God, we still feel like there is anger and hurt and distance. We still feel like he's holding something against us. Stacy, if you just knew. And Paul is so clear where he says, nah, he already came to you. He already took care of every obstacle. Now I just implore you to accept that relationship. I implore you, what if God is real? And what if he really does love you that much, that unconditionally? And he wants to have a relationship with you every moment of every day. And what if that actually matters? If you guys would please pray with me. God, God, thank you so much for doing the work of reconciling to us. Thank you so much for coming to us and for removing every obstacle that you would love us that much and that, that beautifully. 
And Lord, we just lift up every single relationship in our life, including the ones that we might feel distant and tense and averse to, God. And I just pray for the bravery to step into it, to step into a posture of reconciliation. Thank you for how much you love us, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.